L'chaim, everybody. L'chaim. This is it. We're finishing the entire Tanya. A journey that we began three years ago is coming to a close. It's hard to believe we're here. So much has happened in each of our lives. Some of you have been with us from day one, and the pictures are up there to prove it. Some of you joined along the way. Bottom line is, each and every week, a committed group made time to come and learn Hasidus, to come and learn about the inner workings of creation, what it means to be a Jew, the power of mitzvahs, sometimes deep Kabbalah. You can never know what you come. Each week, you may learn something else. Actually, according to my calendar, I checked this up. This class has been going on for 156 weeks. 156 weeks. And out of those weeks, the only times we've taken a break was for Jewish holidays and eight other times when I was out of town. Oh, and I got married too. Oh, yeah, that, 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 that. <laughs> and they get in trouble there. But uh, no, really, even sometimes if I had to be somewhere else on Wednesdays, we all came together on a Thursday or on a Tuesday, I drove you crazy. In the beginning, I remember it was always off, although the last year we've been pretty consistent about Wednesdays. But the bottom line is we can really, really, really be proud of ourselves and uh, proud of our accomplishments. First, I want to remind everybody that on December 3rd is going to be a celebratory event. Pull out your phones. If you haven't signed up yet, many of you have. If you haven't signed up yet, ChabadSO.com forward slash 19 Kislev. Please sign up so we know how many to prepare for. We're going to be honoring each of the men in the circle. Um, Rabbi Avi is coming from West Hills, representing the West Hills community. He's our guest speaker. He already texted me. He has a whole thing set up. Wow. He's, he's coming in strong for this. Wow. So, wow. Yes. So please, make the effort to be there. ChabadSO.com forward slash 19 Kislev. It's not over till it's over. We still have to study the last note of the Tanya, and that's tonight's topic. <laughs> the last note in book five is actually a letter. It's not a Kabbalistic note. It's a very, very down-to-earth letter written by the Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe, in 1802. And the letter has three parts. Each of them is a call to action on an issue that was very close to the Alter Rebbe's heart. Prayer, Torah study, and keeping Shabbat. The first part is about prayer. And the bottom line is the Alter Rebbe calls on his Hasidim, on anybody who calls themselves a follower of the Chabad movement, to approach davening appropriately, to take prayer seriously, to take it responsibly. And I'll be honest, it's, it's painful to read this part of the letter. 
not just because you can hear the Alter Rebbe's desperation, but also because, unfortunately, the issue still holds true today. And it could use some perfection on our part. The Alter Rebbe begins the letter by acknowledging that it's not the first time he's writing about this problem. But our sages tell us that the mitzvah of rebuke, the mitzvah to rebuke a fellow, applies even a hundred times. Sometimes if it doesn't work the first time, you've got to go again. And again. And again. Even a hundred times if necessary. And therefore the Alter Rebbe says, I cannot contain myself. I can't stop myself from crying out again on this issue, even though I'm crying out weakly. He uses that term from the Torah, kol anot chalusha. I have no other way to tell you the urgency of it. I'm just, I'm just going to keep on calling till my mouth dries. And he uses very, very, really raw words. He's just begging. He says, please, I beg of you, have mercy on your souls. Stop the lack of cohesiveness that's going on during communal prayer. He says, somehow, in every shul, I'm hearing, he's getting reports from the Chabad shuls that are springing up around Russia and Ukraine. I'm getting word that when the minion is supposed to start, one guy is holding here, another guy is holding there, this guy's having a chat, this guy's dreaming. And the environment is so not conducive to what davening is all about. Davening is all about a meeting with God. Last week, we discussed this at length. The word tefillah is connection. And the idea is to connect with Hashem. And the fact that it's so disjointed is so not how it's supposed to be. And he says, instead, the way it should be is that everybody should start together and everybody should daven word for word and the minyan should go as a flow. And what I find fascinating in this letter is that the Alter Rebbe points his finger at the chazanim. He says, the fault of this issue is the leaders of the prayer. Or I should be more exact, he doesn't blame it on the chazanim, he blames it on the fact that the guys who should be chazanim don't go up to the stand. The guys who should lead the prayer in a mature, respectable, Jewish way are, uh, are acting humble, falsely humble. They're not stepping up to the plate when they should. Because what happens is when, when, the, when the lectern, you know, when the, when the amud is empty and it's a free-for-all, anybody who wants steps up and apparently the Alter Rebbe says it's become a minhag, it's become a custom that whoever goes faster is more respected. The faster you are in the shul, the more people smile at you. And so this is creating a situation where the, the, because of that, so the leader, everybody knows, this guy's up to the chazan, he's, he's off on a, on a mission. So I'm not anyone's going to catch up, so I may as well do my thing. I'll have a chat, I'll have a coffee, I'll sit down, I'll read the magazine, open the news, you know, I'll do whatever I want, because, because anyways, the environment is not supporting it. And the Alter Rebbe says, that has to change. And in very strong terms, he says, we have to make a new law, a new takana, it's more like an enactment, a new, a new institution has to come into effect in which a group of certain people should be chosen to lead the prayers on a roster. You figure out who that group is. He says you can do it either democratically. Everybody wants this guy. Good, the majority votes. Or a raffle. 
but it has to be a roster of people that are really <coughs> going to do the job properly. And Alter Rebbe defines what that looks like. What does it mean, properly? Properly means they daven word by word, and they daven at an even pace. An even pace means not too fast, but also not too slow. You get up there, you say every word, Hodu Lashem Kiru Vishmo, Alilotav, a good pace. And he says, make a rotation of these eligible chazans, and on their appointed day, it's their holy obligation to show up and to lead. And if they want, and the Altar Rebbe suggests this with encouragement, he says, these chazans who know that they're fighting against, you know, a shul that may not necessarily support that kind of prayer, gather around you, create a little club, find the guys who want to take davening seriously with you, and they'll daven word by word with you. And form the nucleus around which the community can conform eventually. Create the space where everybody knows in front of the shul, there's these seven, eight guys, they take davening seriously. And everybody else, even if they can't, and that happens, people are, have jobs to be at, schedules to fulfill, and I get it, not every day is possible, but at least you know that the, the core and the standard is being held high. Because in this shul, we take davening seriously, at least up at the front. And everybody else kind of conforms around that in the ways that they can. Yeah, trickle-down davening. And the Alter Rebbe concludes this part of the letter with a heartfelt cry. And he actually, it's the only time that Yiddish words appear in the Tanya. Tanya is written in Hebrew. But here, he uses the Yiddish words, Gewald, Gewald. It's like, whoa, way. The Rebbe once said that he heard from his father-in-law that whenever a Chabad Rebbe wanted to communicate something very close to his heart, like an issue that was very important to him, he would use Yiddish. So this we know how important it is to the Alter Rebbe. He says, Gewald, Gewald, don't let this be a stumbling block anymore. And he actually connects it to Jewish suffering. He says, we've, been, we've suffered enough as a people. We don't need to bring more upon ourselves. From now on, Hashem should just give us comfort, a double measure of comfort. And uh, he says, Hashem should purify our hearts to serve Him with truth. That's the calling on prayer. It's interesting to note, actually, that uh, the first letter in Book 4, Book 4 and 5, weren't originally part of the Tanya. You know, it's fascinating, actually, divine providence right now. Today is the 10th of Kislev. Today is a very big Hasidic holiday. The second Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe's son, was released from a falsified imprisonment today, in 1826. And he is actually the one who led the charge to add Book 4 and 5 of the Tanya to the Tanya. Because the Alter Rebbe passed away in 1812, and it was very rare to have any handwritten Hasidic work from the Alter Rebbe because he only said speeches. He gave discourses, and his students would, would transcribe. His own handwritten work was very rare, and after he passed away, his sons went on a mission to see if they can locate as many handwritten stuff from the Alter Rebbe which they could find. And basically, it boiled down to two categories, letters and notes. And they asked people, if you have letters, you know, please send it out. And actually, just about one year after he passed, they published the full edition of the Tanya, which had all five books. 
So in a way, book four and five can be considered one unit that are an addendum to the Tanya. And the first letter in book four is also about this same topic. It's about prayer. And actually, historically, we, we now know that it was written one year after this letter, which we're studying tonight. This is 1802. Letter one of book four was 1803. It's kind of like follow-up. If you check back on Spotify, you'll, you'll, hear the, uh, you'll hear all the details. Out there basically says, I heard good news. It's improving. We got to make it improve even more. Over there, he actually talks about businessmen who cannot afford to daven properly every day. So at least on Shabbos. Shabbos is the businessman's day to daven properly because no distractions, the world's not in, not in your way. So at least on Shabbos daven. And in that letter is where the Alter Rebbe says, I'm going to send spies, undercover spies, to check out how this is being treated. And uh, it's all being reported back to me. And when you come to visit for holidays or Shabbats, the treatment you receive will be commensurate with what my spies have told me. Yeah. In other words, those who take the davening seriously, you get it. Those who don't, there's harsh words in that letter. The Alter Rebbe says he'll be pushed away with two hands. It's quite, quite harsh. But the Alter Rebbe really, really, really felt passionately about this. Actually, in that letter, he also says it should be a minimum of an hour and a half. Davening in the morning should be 90 minutes. Now, you find me a shul that davens for 90 minutes in the morning. The Rebbe actually writes that he takes on, him, on his shoulders a half an hour. He says, they can do 60 minutes. And, and I'll, I'll take the responsibility of the half an hour that you're going down. I, uh, I heard something incredible from one of my Tanya teachers. I couldn't find the source for this, so I'm saying it on my own. But uh, I think it's a, it's a fascinating point. The Rebbe himself was known to daven very fast. When he led the prayers, we have, we have recordings of almost two years because after his mom passed away, he davened at the Amud for a full year, 1965. And after his, after his wife passed away in 1988, he also led the prayers for a full year. And davening took anywhere between 30 and 45 minutes. And you can listen to the recordings. You hear the Rebbe saying every word. Every word is enunciated. But it's, it's, it's quite fast. And I heard, and again, couldn't find the source for this, but I'm, just, I'm saying it because it's a powerful message, that... In 1965, or it was probably still then 64, just after the Rebbe's mother passed away, she passed away between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the 6th of Tishrei. So right after Yom Kippur, the Rebbe began to, to lead the, the services. And at that time, there was a very, very great chassid, Rabbi Mendel Futterfass. Some of you may have heard of him. He's famous for many, many stories. He survived the Gulag for years and years, never lost his faith, and ultimately he came out uh, in 64. And... This was basically his first time seeing the Rebbe in person. And having heard so much about him, now he comes and the Rebbe was leading the prayers and it's going super fast. And he was a bit puzzled. And we talk about so much in Chabad, davening you know, seriously, with, with patience, with focus. And the Rebbe, the leader, is davening super fast. But he never expressed the thoughts, he was just thinking them. On Sukkot, and this is written up in the recorded transcript of, of the Fabrengen, on Sukkot of that year, 64, the Rebbe told a story, apparently in no connection to anything. The Rebbe told a story that the Baal Shem Tov, one year before Sukkot, gave the instruction to make a sukkah that relied on every single possible loophole. Every single possible, possible loophole. 
because you know a sukkah should be four walls ideally, but it can get away with two and a half. And if you put up a pole this way and a pole that way and a pole that way, it counts for space. He basically he had them make a sukkah that was like on, on every level needed a rabbi to say that it's kosher. And he insisted on that sukkah, and he actually went inside on the first night of Sukkot, made kiddush there, made a blessing, the whole thing. And his students were like very, very confused about this. And they actually asked him, you know, Rebbe, what's, what's the idea here? And the Baal Shem Tov went into a trance, into a dvekos, a holy, a holy state of ecstasy. And when he came out, he unfolded his hand, and there was a piece of parchment in it that said, Sukkot Rabbi Yisrael Kshera. The sukkah of Rabbi Israel is kosher, signed, Matat Sarapnim. It's the angel, the interior angel up in heaven. So he got verification of the sukkah being kosher. So the student said, nice, nice, but why? Okay, beautiful. The angel agrees that it's kosher, but why'd you do it? And the Baal Shem Tov explained that many, many Jews are able to fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah properly, but many of them are not. <coughs> and they rely on certain loopholes. And when they're going to be questioned about it in heaven, when the time comes, Baal Shem Tov says, I want that these simple Jews should be able to say, our sukkah, it's even better than the Baal Shem Tov sukkah. <laughs> and the Rebbe told that story, and then he turned to Rebbe Mendel Futterfas and he said, say l'chaim. And Rebbe Mendel said later that his inference was, because he, he had been thinking these, these thoughts about the Rebbe's davening. So he said he felt the Rebbe was talking to him. He says, you know what? You're right. I daven fast so that the simple Jew, when he's questioned in heaven why he didn't take davening seriously, he says, the Rebbe's on my side. It sounds like a story from about being born on the mountaintop. Ah, yes, exactly. <laughs> Rebbe Futtafaz himself, I don't know. He davened slowly. You should see, there's actually videos of him. It's very, very, it's very touching. But that's for a Rebbe, okay? For us, we have the regular calling. We should daven with seriousness. We should daven with attentiveness. We should daven with focus. And it should take time, because we're, if we're engaged in conversation with Hashem, then, uh, then we should treat it as such. Not everything you see is holy, guys. Okay, I know it's, it's, it may be a newsflash, but just because you walk into a shul and that's the way it's running doesn't mean that's the ideal way. And if you can't change everybody, but at least change yourself. At least do what you can in the area of improving davening. That's part one. Second call to action in the letter is about Torah study. And it's the concept known as Chalukat Hashas, the division of the entire Talmud. The Alter Rebbe felt it's very important that every community should finish the entire Talmud every year. Many of you know of the program called Dafyomi. Dafyomi is where you study a page of Talmud a day. And, and that takes seven and a half years. The Altarab had a different approach. He said, collectively, every member of the community should take upon himself one tractate, study it throughout the year, and collectively finish the Shas. Collectively, say the Shemar community, right, would finish the entire Talmud. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The Rebbe himself writes a number of them, what he believes to be the reasons. He says, you know, just like a, a, you have a minion. A minion is ten Jews coming together. But actually, when ten Jews come together, it's not just a quantitative difference, but a qualitative difference. 
You could have nine Moshe Rabbeinus, but you put on a tenth Jew, now you can say Kaddish, Kedusha, read the Torah, and all of that. The tenth Jew coming into the room transforms the entirety of the group onto a different level of quality. There's something to be said about learning an entirety of Torah. If me and you learned isolated tractates, that counts for the tractate. That's like having the nine Jews in the room. When you put the whole Shas in a room, now everyone's individual learning is transformed qualitatively. So it's an important thing to study the entire Shas throughout the year. The Rebbe also points to an interesting law in the laws of Shabbat. Laws of Shabbat, it says that a person is only responsible for uh, acts of work that he does on his own. But if I could have done something alone, and I have you do it along with me, let's say uh, I have a loaf of bread, right? So if I would carry it from the house to the street, I transgress the Shabbos. But if I have you carry it with me, counterintuitively, we're actually both exempt. Yeah. Because we didn't need each other for the, for the labor, and you can't point to anybody specific who did it, so now you're exempt. It's still forbidden, but you're exempt from punishment. But what if no one person could do it on their own? What if it's a massive beam? You couldn't carry the beam on your own out to the street. So you get a friend, and now you carry the beam together. Now the law is that because you needed both together, so it becomes one complete malacha, one complete work. So the Rebbe says something with the shas. Most of us cannot finish the entire shas. It's beyond us to finish the whole thing. But we can do a tractate. And together with another guy, there's another tractate. That's the big beam of the Talmud being lifted up collectively. And when we do that, now it's considered work. Now it's considered an objective that has been reached. It's a, it's a whole other way of looking at it. And the Rebbe adds... And this he only says maybe. He says he's not, he's not even sure about this. But he says he thinks that if you take part in a communal division of the Talmud, then each time you learn at home or in your office, you're actually learning with a minion. You're learning with all the other Jews together. And if you look back on Spotify in letter 23 of book 4, we talked about at length why learning with a minion is much greater than learning on your own. When you learn on your own, we said God rewards you. When you learn with a minion, God joins you. And here, you're alone. You're alone. But because you're part of, you're learning this tractate, nobody else is learning it in the community because you're, they're relying on you, you're relying on them. You get full points as if you're learning with 10 Jews around you, or more. Yeah? Are you, uh, is there a belief that you're getting some of the lessons that you're not personally studying through osmosis, or through discussion, or through... It's a spiritual thing. Yeah. Huh? Hope, I mean, and hopefully it goes into osmosis. You know, my, my friends in the, in the yeshiva used to say... The same thing as uh, I get a lot of WhatsApp groups now. They say, uh, assign yourself a chapter of Tehillim. Yes. Same exact thing. Same exact thing. Not everybody can read the whole Psalms every day, but you have a group doing it, yeah. Then it goes in. It goes in through osmosis, yeah. My friends used to, in yeshiva, they used to fall asleep on their Talmud. And they would say, I'm learning by osmosis. <laughs> but you, and when you do that, you feel, I mean, I, we felt the responsibility. Yes. That with our group, and that you, you knew that you had to do Absolutely. Yeah. 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 There's a major accountability. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was, it was still learning and reading for the sake of it, but knowing that you had, you know, however many other guys that were doing it, 10, 15, whatever it was, 
And they're counting on you. Without you, their Tehillim is not going to be complete. Yeah. See, if you do just like your own pace of studying through the Talmud, it's on your own, and your accountability can wax and wane. But you're right, if you're part of a group, you know they're all counting on you, they're all, they're all relying on you. And by the way, this is a custom which has continued till today. You should know that. In Chabad communities, the traditional day is on Yutes Kislev, actually, the 19th of Kislev, which is the Alter Rebbe's holiday. That's the day when every community divides the Shas, and everyone takes a tractate. Some yeah. are really long. And some are really long and some are really short. But, uh... Huh? Rabbi used to do it too. There are, there are 63 tractates in the Mishnah. 40 of them have Talmud, but the Rebbe would say you should put them all in. And yeah, my brother's right. On the Fabringen that the Rebbe used to hold on the 19th of Kislev, there was always a time when after one of the talks, the Rebbe would say, okay, they'll probably give out the cards now. And that was the sign for everybody would they'd give out these little white index cards, the whole 770, throw them around. Everybody would get a pen. And uh, it would say, you know, my name is X, and this is the tractor that I'm committing to study. And they were all put in a box. And the Rebbe said that a month before the 19th of Kislev, they should hang up a big sign that says all the names and what, you know, to remind you what tractor everybody has. Till today, in 770, you go downstairs, in the back, a massive sign that says everybody, you know, what, what tractor they have to study. And the Rebbe himself would take... Uh, different track. We actually know uh, the Rebbe would usually pick Sanhedrin. He loved that track day because the whole end is about Mashiach. <laughs> and so he. he uh, including Shkalan. <coughs> huh? Including Shkalan. So, so that's it. That's the second call, the call of Torah study. The Alter actually says that if you're part of this division, every Shabbat you should say Psalm 119. The longest one, in case you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> the longest song. He um, doesn't say what the connection is. The previous Rebbe, the Rebbe's father-in-law, once said that actually it would seem to be counterintuitive because the difference between the written Torah and the oral Torah is that the written Torah, you don't have to understand what you're saying. You can just read the words and fulfill your obligation. But the oral Torah, you have to understand what you're saying in order to fulfill your obligation. So it would seem funny that you're matching a Talmud learning with a Tehillim reciting. Tehillim is one of those types, you just say Tehillim and, and it works. Talmud, if you don't understand, you're not learning. But uh, the, the previous Rebbe said, it seems like that exactly was the altar of his message. That one completes the other. And he didn't explain what he meant, but the way I've always understood it is that if all you have in the Torah is your understanding of it, then Torah study can become selfish. By submitting and reciting to Hillim every once in a while, you remind yourself that there's something higher. What Hasidus likes to call, there's the giver of the Torah, not just the Torah. Remember the giver. Remember Hashem who's present in the, in the study. Tehillim is higher than the Torah? Tehillim is, part of, is, is like the same category as the written Torah. Really? Yeah. It's Torah oh. Shabbat. It's part of the Bible, part of the Tanakh. Okay. Here's another thing, I'm he repeating a hearsay. I haven't, I've looked for the source, I haven't found it. The Rebbe writes that he no longer sees people observing this custom of reciting Psalm 119. People, it seems like people have stopped doing it. That I have seen, the Rebbe wrote, wrote that. But the reason I heard the Rebbe said was because since the whole concept of reciting Psalm 119 is to remind you of the giver of the Torah, today when we study Hasidus, that's the replacement of that. The Alter Rebbe's times, it was just beginning just getting off on its feet. People didn't learn chassidus like they learn today. Today we have so much access to constantly remind us about the giving of the Torah, we don't have to worry about it. Which tells you 
but there's a responsibility to study Hasidus, okay? Because you gotta, you gotta have that to supplement the Talmud learning. But be that as it may, that's the second call. So we have a call to prayer and a call to Torah study. The third and final theme of the letter and the closing of the entire Tanya is about Shabbos, keeping Shabbos. The context actually is not about Shabbos, it's about fasting. The Altar Rebbe says, many of us have accumulated different sins over our lifetime that usually require fasting, according to Kabbalah. But Hasidus does not condone fasting. And we talked about this at length in the beginning of Book 3. At the time, the Altar spends about two chapters almost, almost three, talking about why we don't fast anymore like they used to. In the olden times, people could handle it, they were healthy, they could, they could do it. Today, fasting would be counterproductive because you become weaker, you'll do less, you'll function less, and so it won't, it won't serve the purpose. Yet, says the Alter Rebbe, I'm going to give you uh, a replacement for that. You can't fast? Okay. The Talmud says, Kol hashomer Shabbat kihilchato, mochalin lo al kol avonotav. Anybody who guards the Shabbos. Kihilchato means, like the letter of the law, properly, Hashem forgives all of his sins. So the Alter Rebbe says, keeping Shabbos properly is a good replacement. But the operative word is properly. Shabbos is huge. Shabbos takes up a whole section of Jewish law. There's so much to know about Shabbos. And the Alter Rebbe says, somebody who wants to achieve atonement with a different route than fasting should take it upon himself to become expert in what's called Hilchita Rabta L'Shabbata, the, the great and severe laws of the Shabbos. And simultaneously, he should take it upon himself not to talk any unnecessary, nonsensical talk on Shabbos. In the Talmud, it says that there's a law that you shouldn't talk too much idle talk, too much Dvarim Betelim, because Shabbos is supposed to be different than the rest of the week. But the altar over here says, make Shabbos exclusively about Hashem and holy things. Do not engage in idle talk. Why? Why, why these two elements specifically? Why learning the laws of Shabbos and refraining from speech? So the altar says the following thought. Every mitzvah, Everything in Judaism has what's called pnimiyut and chitzoniyut, an inner dimension and an outer dimension, a body and a soul. What's the body of Shabbos? What's the outer dimension of Shabbos? Cessation. The outer dimension of Shabbos is what's communicated to us in the Ten Commandments. Zachor et yom hashabbat lekadsho. And in the other version, shamor et yom hashabbat lekadsho. Remember the Shabbos day and guard the Shabbos day. There's an active and a passive body to Shabbat. The active body of Shabbat, Zachor, is to do those mitzvahs that relate to Shabbat, Kiddush, the meal, davening, etc. And Shamor is to refrain, cessation from work, to refrain from creative labor. Like Hashem, by the way, the reason that we do that. Why, why do we stop working on Shabbos? Because Hashem stopped creating on Shabbos. Sheshet yamim asa Hashem et That's six, six days God created heaven and earth. On the seventh day he rested. So us too, we should stop, refrain from work on the seventh day. But if you look a little, bit, a little deeper, says the Alter Rebbe, what did Hashem stop doing on Shabbos? Hashem stopped speaking. Right? 
I know the word in the Torah is Hashem. God made the heavens and the earth. But in the Genesis account, it's Vayomer. He said, let there be light. He said, let there be animals. He said, he said, he said. God's creation looked like talking. He talked things into existence. So for us to just stop doing, because that's our way of creating. We don't create, we, we, we wish sometimes we could create stuff through our talk. But the way we create is through deed. So taking the step from not doing is an outer, external step. The inner, more deeper step would be to copy Hashem and move from the realm of speech to the realm of thought. God stopped speaking the world into existence. Now it got elevated into his thought. We should also refrain from a certain type of speaking and put more emphasis on the thought. That's the inner zachor and the inner shamor. The inner zachor would be that whatever we are doing, the kiddush that we're making, the davenings which we do, the Torah which we study, should all be infused with a deep passion, a deep emotion. Put more thought into it, put more, more meditation into it, put more focus into it. And on the, on the negative side, we should stop speaking those things that are weekday and mundane. Totally. Move from the realm of speech, weekday mundane speech, into the realm of only holy speech. And the final words of the Tanya are because this parallels that. A number of interpretations are offered within this context. The simple interpretation is refraining from speaking on Shabbos will combat the negative speech. Kind of like in the beginning of the Tanya. Closing the circle. Way in the beginning of the Tanya, the speaks about how there's a simultaneous two voices going on, a battle. And uh, both are fighting for control. But also, means within the context that we're talking about right now on Shabbat, what we do here has parallel effects in the cosmos, in spiritual universes, in spiritual realms. When we stop speaking here and we're mirroring that which is going on from Hashem, we create an inner Shabbat moment. We create a real, a real obser observing of Shabbat, a real zachor, a real shamor. And that's also an echo of the entire beginning of the Tanya, the two realities that exist simultaneously. The Rebbe would always say this, the beginning is always wedged in the end. That's, that's how the Torah works. The beginning of the Tanya is wedged in the end of the Tanya. And the very, very last word of the Tanya is actually chulu. Chulu means etc. Huh? Why? Why is the last word? Why is the last word etc.? So, yes, Hasidim used to say, the Tanya is complete, but the work is not finished. We learned all the pages, but like the Torah, there's always more. There's another round. You go deeper. You find new insight, new meaning. 
And that's why we're going to be starting timing at 2.0. <laughs> 2.0. Yeah, we're, that, that's the plan. The men have spoken. We want to start again. We want to go back. We want to journey through it again and find, get another way to enhance our service of Hashem. And uh, with that, indeed, the Tanya is concluded. Let's say a L'chaim, everybody. L'chaim, L'chaim. You know what? Well, here, here, here's what I'm going to do. I, I, I wanted to say a Shechianu blessing on this occasion. Every happy occasion you say Shechianu, but in Jewish law it's not so simple to just say Shechianu out of nowhere, but if you have a new fruit, you're allowed to say Shechianu, and that counts for the occasion as well. So I'm going to cut open. I actually already had this fruit on Rosh Hashanah, so that, that's not a Shechianu for me, but whoever it is for, we should pass it around and, uh, and say Shechianu. Don't forget your photo. Huh? Don't forget the photo. Well, today I have the, uh, the videographer in the house, so... This is a persimmon. So we're going we're gonna to cut this. Baruch atah adenai yaleheinu melech ha'ilam she'achiyanu v'kiyimanu v'higiyanu l'izman hazeh. Baruch atah adenai yaleheinu melech ha'ilam b'yirei pri ha'etz. Amen. Persimmon tov. Mazotov. 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 Say it together. Chazak, 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 v'nis chazek.